The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I want you to imagine that you are part of a special forces unit and you've just been inserted behind enemy lines. Not long ago, you were back at, at your base, but as you were trained for at a moment's notice, you may find yourself on the other side of the planet in an unsuspecting little town or city, and that's right where you find yourself with the rest of your team under the cloak of darkness. And the city that you're in or the town you're in is a town that would easily be overlooked. There's nothing in particular that seems um, significant about this town other than the intel that you've gotten that there is a terrorist hiding out in a particular building or house in this town. Someone that has done untold horrors to thousands and is actually plotting to do more terrors. And your mission is to stop that. And while there's technology that could make a strike from a long distance away, your presence and your team's presence is needed, boots on the ground, to to verify that the target is there and to specify the precise, with precision, the precise location for that strike. And so you move with your team tactically, quietly, through this little town, through the city, until you find the exact building where this enemy is located. You've confirmed the intel, and so now you're close enough to get that level of confirmation, but you're also just far enough away to survive what's coming next. Your job on the team is you're given a small device that when you put it right, the bead right on the target and you press a button, it sends an infrared laser on that particular building, but you have to hold it there. You're painting the target. The rest of the team is fanning out to provide cover in case you yourself are being targeted. So you've got this machine, you're looking through it, and you lock on to your target. You're painting the target, the laser is going. The interesting thing about the infrared laser is it's unseen by the naked eye. It cannot be seen in, in the darkness. But it is seen by a power that's coming from above. You're locked onto your target and you have to stay locked on if at any moment you release and you no longer keep that infrared laser on that target, the mission will be aborted. So you have to stay locked on the target. You keep the infrared beam and with every passing second, I want you to put yourself in this moment, every passing second that that beam is locked on with precision on that target, your heart starts beating a little faster. The adrenaline, which was already surging, is now coursing through your veins because you know, even though you don't hear anything, you know that there are forces now circling from above and there's things silently imperceptible to this sleepy little town. There's things imperceptible happening and you know at any moment, shock and awe will erupt in front of you. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. You're locked on, you're locked on. And moment after moment passes, it stretches on. It feels like an hour, but it's only been a few moments. You're locked on, and then you hear what seems like a silent searing through the sky, and then all of a sudden, boom. Your target 
disintegrates in front of you. And your task of taking out an enemy to spare could be thousands or more lives is accomplished. Now I want you to think about that infrared um, weapon, really. What's interesting about that box is it is very powerful. That's a very powerful weapon. If it's your job on that team to have that weapon that's sending that infrared laser to paint the target, if that's your job, you are holding one of the most, maybe the most powerful weapon of all of your team, but it's indirectly powerful, right? Because you can point that infrared laser at someone, it's not going to hurt them. The laser itself is not going to hurt them, but when it's locked onto the target, what makes that so powerful is it's actually sending the payload down from above. It's actually, it is channeling the power. It is linked to the power. It's linked to other forces of awe-striking power from above. It's actually bringing that down to earth. So it's incredibly important for warfare. It's incredibly important as a weapon, but understand the power. It's an indirect kind of power. You follow me? Now we're in this series and it's using a lot of this warfare imagery and we're picking up on this warfare imagery, not that we're creating the imagery, it's right there in the scripture. It's using warfare imagery and it's talking about various weapons. And one of the final weapons it talks about is very similar to that infrared laser sending device. It's very similar to that in that it is extremely powerful. In some ways, maybe the most powerful, but understand how it works. It's, it's bringing the power from above. It's a weapon that each one of us as believers, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, each one of us is equipped with this weapon, but the shame of it is we so often forget about it. We don't take advantage of it. We so often don't use it. And so we routinely have to be reminded about the power of this weapon. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, let's learn about this weapon. It's a weapon that we need to use, you need, I need, with urgent, desperate need. Each one of us needs to use this weapon today. I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's do just a little bit of, of review. We're going to pick it up in verse 11 and 12 first. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 11. Here's what this passage, here's the big idea in this passage. Here's what it says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, let's, let's dial in here. What is this passage talking about? This passage is simply saying this, Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in a war. 
You are in a war. There are battles that you are fighting. But here's the thing you need to know about these battles. It's very clear. It's not the battles we often think are the battles. It's not a flesh and blood battle. It's not the battle that we're dealing with with our neighbor. It's not the battle that we're dealing with with our coworker. It's not the battle with our boss. It's not the battle with our employees. It's not the battle with our, our spouse. It's not the battle with our kids. It's not, that's actually not the battle. That is actually the implications of the real battle. He says, the battle that we are fighting, you and me, according to the word of God, we're in a spiritual battle. There is an unseen realm that is very real. There is an actual being that is called the devil. There are demons. There, those are real creatures. There are angels that are servants of God that are real. There is this unseen spiritual battle that is waging in this world. And it's not just happening on some other dimension. It's not like, hey, somewhere out there is a spiritual battle. What he says is actually the enemy is working schemes against you, against me, uh, against our, the, those in our small group and those that are uh, on a serving team with you, that those of you, your, your family members, your children, that battle, we're actually in the battle. We're being affected by the battle, whether we realize it or not, there is a very real battle. So put it like this. It is an unseen battle, but it is a more real battle. It is the battle that is behind all of the earthly battles we see. But the real battle is a spiritual battle. He says, okay, here's what you need to know. You are in a battle. That is the framework you need to understand about your life. If you are in a battle, you need to be equipped with spiritual weapons. Because a lot of times, and we can see this, I mean, man, just with the battles that are in normal, like everyday life, whether it's like at work or in family or with a friend or with a neighbor or the, uh, uh, with an extended family member or on social media or whatever it is, when you're trying to fight the battles with earthly weapons, they just don't really seem to progress very well. It's because there's a real true spiritual battle behind it. He says, here are the spiritual weapons of that battle. So let's, let's see what he says. He goes through all of these weapons, but we're going to jump down to the very end and we're going to pick it up in verse 18. P pick it up with me there. He says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He ends this whole section. He's talked about all different types of armor. He says, you know, the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth. And he says, the shoes of readiness to carry the gospel and a shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He goes through all these weapons and then he ends with this last statement and he says, pray really, really pray. And he uses the word all four times. All kinds of prayer. It's like pray throughout. Pray at all times. Pray in the spirit. Pray with all perseverance and alertness. Pray for all the saints. He uses all four different times. So let's just break this out because he's talking about something that is so much more significant, important, and powerful than we think. Let's break this out. The first thing that he tells us to do is he says, in all your prayers, pray in the Spirit. Here's so often why um, 
prayer breaks down. This is why prayer is one of those things that you're like, yeah, okay, it's a sermon on prayer. I'm not surprised. I mean, churches, we do that, right? We need a, the prayer sermon every now and then, and we got to be reminded to do it. You know, and maybe you say, like, I've tried to pray before. I'm just not one of those prayer people. Like, it just seems boring, or I just get distracted, or I'm just so busy, I forget to do it, and I feel guilty about it. I know I should probably pray a little bit more, and, and I'll probably, I know already what's going to happen. I'm going to leave here after this sermon. I'm going to be like, I know I should pray more, and then I'm going to try, and tomorrow I'm going to pray. I'm going to fall asleep halfway through my prayer. I'm going to go throughout my work, and then I'm not going to really pray after that very hard because I, I've done it before. I know like the prayer cycle because we got to talk about it. It's in the Bible. All right, and that's it. You're dismissed. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. No, let's not do that. But if you're like me, like, okay, give me some help. Here's the first thing he says. He says, pray in the Spirit. The problem so often with prayer is we're not praying in the Spirit. We're praying in the flesh. Well, what does that mean? So often we think of prayer as a ritual. That's what the flesh is. Prayer is a ritual. It's like I say a certain things, like I have to pray certain prayers, say certain words a certain way, a certain amount of time, or for a certain amount of time, and if I do it like that enough times, then my reality will change. So I, I really, 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 really want the promotion at work. So like, okay, I don't know how I got to pray it to make that work, but I'm going to pray. Maybe I need to pray enough times. Like, is it 15 minutes a day for 15 days? Or is it like 20 minutes for 20 days? Or like, what's the combination? Like, I've got to say it a certain way. Or maybe you grew up in a tradition where there's certain prayers that you have to say a certain way and it becomes kind of a mantra. Those kind of rituals, that's the flesh. That is my, that the flesh is always trying to pull prayer into ritual. And think about that. If I think there's a certain way of saying something or a certain amount of times that changes my reality, that's not really biblical prayer. That's an incantation. That's like a spell. It's like using words to change the reality. That's the flesh always will try and pull us back to ritual. That's why if prayer seems like dull, drudgery, like just get through it, check the box, it's probably my flesh has been bringing prayer back to a place where it's just like a routine, ritual, religious chore, but that's not in the spirit. What is in the spirit? He says, I mean, think about what the Bible says. What the Bible says is we have access to the spirit of God. What is prayer? I mean, you could define prayer is an awareness that you are in the presence of the one that has all the power in the universe. It's an awareness of his presence, not a mindless, empty saying phrases until reality changes. It is an awareness of the presence of God and responding to his invitation of friendship. That's actually incredible. The fact that the one who could do anything you could imagine and is holding the galaxies together is saying, I would love to chat with you and is inviting you into his presence. It's an awareness 
of who it is that you are spending time with and responding to his invitation for friendship. It's always praying in, in the spirit. It's, it's having this, it's not just my laundry list of, of complaints or wishes. It's spending time in the presence of God with his spirit. So what that means is it's time where I'm not only talking to God, but I'm expecting him to respond. It's listening. You say, well, what does that mean? Like, I'm going to start like hearing voices or whatever. Like, what does it mean to listen to God in prayer? Well, it's like this. I remember um, just not long ago, I had an upcoming speaking engagement and I was just leading up to that. And I was like really stumped. Like I, I was excited to go share and I knew kind of the topic, but I was just dry. Like, I'm like, I don't know what to share. I was going to be preaching. And I was like, man, I just don't know like exactly God. I think you've got something to pray. And so I, I, I was, I took a break. I was trying to work on the message and I put the message aside and I said, okay, I, you know what I need to do? I just need to stop and pray. I don't need to like, to just work and just force it. Let me just stop and pray. And so I said, God, look, I, I know you gave me this, this speaking engagement. You've arranged for it. Um, I'm assuming like I'm going to be there, like I'm not going to get struck dead between now and then. So like I'm assuming there's supposed to be a message I'm going to share. Be nice if you provided it like sooner than later, like that would help. And so I said, so God, um, would you just please show me like what to say? And then all of a sudden my mind drifted back to outlining the message. And like, I find myself outlining the message again. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? No, I'm supposed to be praying. And so like, I'm, I'm praying, oh God, I want you to show me uh, what it is that I should write. And then I'm starting to write the outline again. I'm like, I'm distracted again. I'm like, just stop working working and praying. And finally it was like, I felt like God just slapped me in the back of the head. I'm like, okay. And all of a sudden just the thought hit me. He's like, I'm answering your prayer while you're praying. Going back to the sermon outline is not a distraction. That's me. You idiot. Okay. I don't know that he said the last part. That might've just been me. Okay. But I felt like that. All right. So anyway, it's like not, think of it like this, not every distraction while you're praying is a distraction. You're praying and all of a sudden your mind drifts to your kids and you're worried. That might be God saying, hey, can we talk about this? You're praying and all of a sudden anger comes up towards that coworker and you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm supposed to be spiritual and praying. It's like, no, we need to talk about this. I, I'm, I don't, I'm confused and I don't know how to handle a situation. And all of a sudden, like, I'm, I actually feel like I have clarity and I'm, I'm kind of coming up with a tactical approach, but it feels like work, but it might be because I'm praying that and God's like, I'm just trying to spend time with you and direct you. It says praying in the spirit. Here's what's praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit is not getting dragged into the fleshly impulse that prayer is a routine that I'm checking some box or some type of way of just doing some spiritual chore that controls things. No, prayer is the awareness of whose presence I'm in and responding to that invitation into friendship. He says, pray in the spirit. I'm not, he's like, I'm not talking about the dull, boring, rigid routine, heaping up the same words every time. In fact, Jesus literally said, when his disciples asked him about prayer, he said, don't just keep heaping up 
empty phrases. You have a relationship with the Almighty. Keeping up empty phrases, that's the world's view of prayer. He says that's what the Gentiles do. It's not that. He says pray always in the Spirit. Have this constant awareness of whose presence you're in. Okay, we, we had to stop on that first all in this text. Always pray in the Spirit because that's what then makes the other, the next few make sense. Because the second one he says, he says pray always in the Spirit. And then he says, he says, and pray at all times. In other words, um, it's the integration of prayer. If prayer is the awareness of the presence of God, you could be praying literally constantly throughout your day. It's not just, I'm done with my prayer time, now I just go do life on my own and try and figure it out. No, it's your driving to work and you're thinking through like what's coming and the meetings that you have. Just, have, just take that process and have an awareness that God is still with you. And now turn those thoughts into prayer. It's you arrive at work and you see that difficult person and you feel like something rising up in you that's frustrated and you have that and you can either deal with that or you could stay engaged in prayer and you could integrate prayer into that moment and you're silently praying that you would have, that you would see that person like Christ sees that person. You're actually writing an email and you're struggling to get the words just right because it's important you get it just right. And you could just you know, push through on your own or you could stop and pray. You say, yeah, but this is just like to a, to a client. I mean, why does God care about that? Of course God cares about that. That's holy to God. That's work he's called you to do as someone made in his image. He cares about that. He wants you to do that with, it, with excellence. So integrate prayer in that. It's you're sitting in a meeting and you're like, man, something's not right in this meeting. But before I, before I, uh, I say something, let me stop and just say, because I want to make sure I don't steer this team in the wrong direction. Or it's a difficult customer and you've got to deal with it. You've got to have grace to deal with them and maybe pray for them as they're going about their, their day because you know they're going through something difficult. It's praying through school if you've got an assignment. It's the integration of prayer. He says, if you understand that you're praying in the spirit and really what prayer is, is an awareness of the presence of God and an invitation into friendship, then prayer can be integrated. You could actually be constantly praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can pray the moment you wake up. You can pray in the background while you're with your family. You can pray during your hobbies. You can pray while you're, while you're doing things that you, you, you enjoy. You can pray while you're doing things that you don't enjoy. You can pray all the time because it's an awareness of being in the presence of God, and you are always in the presence of God. Always pray in the Spirit. Always pray at all times. And then he says, and this is specifically how he says that. He says, pray with all persevering alertness. So we talked about, um, so pray in the spirit, then the integration of prayer. But then this is, he says, no, you've got to have a space where you're thoughtfully pushing into prayer. So there's the integration of prayer, but also there's the separation for prayer. Two different things. This is where you not only pray throughout the day and have that integrated into your life, but you've set aside time as part of your regular rhythm. It's time that you set aside every day 
Throughout history, most believers said it's, if it's not the first thing they do in the morning, they can rarely get back that, that space. It's this time that you separate yourself for focused prayer. Some believers make the mistake of only doing integrated prayer. And so, yeah, they're praying along the way and someone gives them a prayer request and they're walking away. Oh, I'll pray for, I just pray that you bless so-and-so and help them with that. That's not bad, but it needs also that focused, persevering, laboring alertness where you're thinking and listening. You need that part separ separated aside for prayer. Some believers make the other mistake and they have their set aside time for prayer. They have that 20, 30 minutes or an hour or two hour time in the morning where they set aside time just for prayer. And then they close that prayer time and don't pray throughout the day. What he's talking about is both. He says both have the integration of prayer and have separation for prayer. This is where you and I, we, we find ways. How can I set aside that time? For some people, they can, they literally get down on their knees in a posture of prayer or on their face. Others, they can just kind of sit there quietly and just kind of, just kind of pray quietly. Others um, pray out loud. Some people go, they have to go walk in prayer. Others journal. For me, I journal. I do it digitally. I type out my prayers. It's just one of the ways I stay focused. If I just sit there quietly, I fall asleep or I get distracted. But if I type out my prayers, I can actually stay engaged. Other people write out their prayers physically. You find a way where you carve out time and you take advantage of the privilege of entering into the presence of God where you're speaking to God and listening to God and you set that time aside to labor deeply in prayer. It's not just a quick prayer. Hey, so-and-so's marriage, would you bless them? It's like, Lord, please, I'm, for the sake of their marriage, they've labored so hard. Lord, would you please just, uh, whether it's communication they need or forgiveness they need, Lord, whatever it is, please work in their marriage. Remove the obstacles. Hold back the enemy. You're digging in 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 labored, persevering, alertness type of prayer. It's the integration of prayer and it's the separation for prayer. Now there's one more all he gives us and this one's important. He says, always in the spirit, at all times, with all persevering alertness. And then the last one he says is, for all the saints. Now, let's talk about saints for a second. What's a saint? The common view of saint would probably be um, what our Catholic brothers and sisters, their view of saints. And the, the uh, Catholic view of sainthood is, I mean, it's like one or two people a generation. Like saints are like the upper crust of the super godly, super Christian. And when someone who's will eventually be sainted, they'll be canonized, when that person dies, like there's a period of many, many years and the process of becoming a saint, it's a long time, is they have to actually research the person's life. And the first thing is they're looking that this person has, is like famous for their righteousness. Like, do they have heroic virtue is one of the things that they talk about. It. So they talk about to all their friends and what they're hoping is that everyone who knew or knew of this person is like, oh, this person was amazingly righteous. Like, ultra, ultra righteous, you know, like Mother Teresa type person. 
Then they're looking, okay, that, that's step one. Then for another period of years, they're looking through all that they ever wrote. Is there anything that's, that is not uh, doctrinally accurate? And then they're looking for miracles. Did actual miracles work through this? Does this person actually work miracles on earth? And were they a martyr? Did they die for their faith? If they didn't die for their faith, did they suffer like greatly for their faith? And then they're looking for more miracles. And at the end of this long, long period, it can take it can take generations just to affirm someone as a saint. Then they say, yes, this person that is a saint. So um, notice Paul says, pray for all the saints. Doesn't say pray to all the saints. That's very different language. He says, pray for all the saints. I don't know about you. They don't seem like they need a whole lot of prayer, okay? It's the rest of us riffraff that need all the prayer. So what does Paul mean by saint here? Because the biblical use of the word saint is very different from the tradition of the Catholic Church view of saint. So what is, how does Paul, let's just explore, what does Paul mean here by saint? Here's what's interesting and astonishing. Um, Ephesians 1.1, here's how he opened this letter. If I was to turn back a couple pages at the beginning of this book, here's what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Who are the saints? It's the whole church in Ephesus. Wow, are they all super Christians? Not really. Especially as you read the, through the text. Like, there's some things like, yeah, I don't think saints do that. There's, what is a saint? And it's not just the Ephesians he called saints. He called other churches saints. He called the Corinthians saints. You want to talk about some people that were kind of messed up, okay? The Corinthians, they had some stuff going on in that church, and he called them saints. What is a saint? Well, I thought saints like a super Christian. Actually, what's interesting is the word saint actually literally in the ancient Greek means holy ones. Like, remember, God's holy, set apart, no one's like God. Saints are holy ones. And yet the New Testament calls Who's, who's a saint? Well, he says it in Ephesians 1.1. He says, those who are in Christ. You know who a saint is? You, if you're in Christ. You say, you don't know me very well. That doesn't matter. If you are in Jesus Christ, here's the reality of who you are. All of your sin, past, present, and future, has been taken off of you, placed on Jesus, and the full punishment and wrath that your sin and my sin deserves is exhausted to the last drop on Jesus, leaving no remaining wrath or punishment for you. And all of the perfect righteousness of Jesus is taken off of Jesus and applied to you. So you're a saint. Not a saint like Mother Teresa. A saint like Jesus. You say, my life doesn't reflect that. That's the whole journey of the Christian is realizing the gravity of what has been declared over you and then living your life to reflect that reality. You're saints. 
And he says, pray for all the saints. He actually say, making supplications for all the saints. What does he mean by supplications? Uh, supplications are urgent requests. And then Paul gives us an example. What would be an urgent request? Um, let's look at what um, Paul says. We're going to pick it up in verse 19. He says this, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, here's what I mean by a supplication for the saints. He says, here is my prayer request to you. Here's my prayer request to you. He says, um, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray, my, the function of my life is to preach the gospel with boldness. Pray that I have the boldness to preach the gospel. Now, can we just look at that real closely for a second? When he says he's in chains, that's not a metaphor for something. He's actually in chains. He's most likely in Rome uh, under house arrest right now. He's literally in chains. Can you notice what he doesn't ask for? To get out of the chains. Paul leaves the Ephesians with one prayer request. And it's not, hey, could you pray that I get out of these chains so I can preach the gospel? I wonder if he's writing the Ephesians, he's imagining what it was like to be in Ephesus for two years and be able to preach openly and go preach at the amphitheater and go around through the city preaching. What a wonderful thing it was. And now he's in Rome of all places, longing to preach and he's under house arrest. He can't even leave. But he doesn't say, hey, could you pray that I don't have these chains? I'm just going to one request Get me out of prison. No. He says, pray that I preach the gospel with boldness. Pray that I, I communicate. The, he's not even really preaching. He's probably more just interpersonally sharing his faith with whoever gets brought in his path. Pray that I share interpersonally my faith with boldness, that I continue doing that work. That's the type of supplication that he means. Why is that important for us to see that example? It's because of this. Christian, this passage is saying that you and I were at war. Listen, the Christian life doesn't make a lot of sense if we put a different framework over it. Oftentimes, the framework we put over the Christian faith is it's basically like self-help. I've got my career goals, my family goals, my wealth goals, my health goals. I've got the things that I want to do. I'm hoping that a little bit of the Bible will help me achieve those goals better. Like I have these things I'm after, and this is like, I could get self-help from another type of guru, but I'm going to do the Christian tinted version. I have the goals I'm, I'm living, I'm working towards. These are my life goals. These are the things I'm trying to manifest and activate. This is who I want to be, what I want to be known for. I'm trying to live that and so that I can be a more comfortable, I can have greater wealth, greater success, greater notoriety. I, I can have uh, greater, more healthier things in my life. Like I want this. And so I'm hoping that um, various uh, biblical principles help me get there. And if prayer helps me get there, then great. That framework over your life will break down and lead to disillusionment because it is not the biblical framework. The biblical framework is that you and I are 
at war. And you're a citizen of a different kingdom. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's the Jesus' kingdom. And every citizen of Jesus' kingdom gets drafted into the battle. That's what prayer is for. Here's a quote by um, a pastor by the name of John Piper. He puts it like this. This is what prayer is. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Ouch, John Piper. Here's what he says. Christian, you're at war. You're on a battlefield. Prayer's not about God. Just make me more comfortable. Help me build my kingdom. Prayer malfunctions. It doesn't work like that. I've started to trace back the prayers that just seem to go completely unanswered, and it seems like a lot of them, and I mean, yes, he says no, at least there's always some kind of answer, but as I've gone back, a lot of them were really at its real core pursuing my own comfort. God, this is not fun. Could you take it away? And he says, okay, that's not, you're on the battlefield. You're fighting a war, a spiritual war. And so Paul says, let me give you an example of what I mean by a supplication for the saint. It's as I'm interpersonally, as I am going to tomorrow, waking up, going to work, going into my neighbor, going with friends, going uh, on social media, as I am going about my life, pray, not that my discomforts are all taken away. God is going to handle those and I can bring those before, before him. But if there's one prayer that I would have, it is that I communicate the mysterious but awesome power of the gospel to everyone I encounter. That's not just missionary Paul's request. He's under house arrest. He's just interpersonally sharing his faith at this point. That is an example of what a request should look like for you and me. How can I engage the mission and the warfare that you've called me to, to further your kingdom forward? That's an urgent request. It's prayers for urgent requests from the battle lines. It's like this. Prayer is you and I painting a target. We have a, a, a friend in our small group that's saying, look, um, my child is sick. Like, and it's the prognosis doesn't look good. And we say, the enemy is after this child, not on our watch. And we put the bead on the enemy in this particular situation and we paint that target and we hold on that target until God comes down and does the work that he's going to do in that, in that situation. It's, hey, I, it's someone saying, hey, I feel like God's calling me to pray bigger, bolder prayers about engaging mission at work. And so, and, and may, there's maybe an opportunity for me to gain influence, not just so that I'm more successful, but so that I can have greater influence for the kingdom of God. And we dig in and we, we paint that target with them because they're at war. 
It's, our, it's a marriage that's in trouble. And we say, look, the enemy's trying to get in there and trying to mess that up. But a marriage is holy before God. It's children that are maybe starting to stray. And we say, no, I'm not going to let the devil take these children away, take my children away. And we put a bead on that. We paint that target and we pray it down. And we watch the awesome shock and awe when God answers with his power from above. That's what prayer is. It's a weapon in your hand, brothers and sisters. What is prayer? What's the logic of prayer? Let me show you what it says in the book of John. Listen to this. Jesus says, let me just read you a couple excerpts. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Look at this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Later, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He goes on, listen to what he says. No longer do I call you servants for the, servants, the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. What is prayer? Prayer is God calling you in the context of friendship and saying, look, I work through you in the natural realm all the time. I work through your giftedness, your personality, your experience, your education. I work through those, and sometimes you think it's you, but I actually provided all of those things. I love working through you in the natural realm, but, I, but you are a citizen of heaven and a child of God. I want to work through you and with you in the supernatural realm as well. Because if I leave you in just the natural realm and never show you the supernatural realm, you will be so busy doing good things that you'll sudden, slowly start to believe it's you who's doing it, not me who's doing it through you. And, and besides, I want you, I want to whisper in your ear as you have painted your target, watch what I'm about to do. And I want to bring you into the supernatural. And so I believe there are times even he holds back what he's doing because he can't stand the idea of not working with us in the supernatural realm through prayer. He's calling you. He wants you to see miracles. He wants to whisper in your ear, you won't believe what I'm about to do and draw you in the process to start praying and participating with him. I'll leave you with this question. What if we prayed? Like real prayer. Like entering into the presence of Almighty God, like stunned, awestruck privilege of standing in his presence boldly because of the work of Jesus, like a saint, like someone who's declared holy, like he's holy by the work of Jesus. What if we boldly entered in the presence of the one who wields galaxies kind of prayer? What if it was integrated prayer, like a constant pr presence of the almighty and a constant presence of the miraculous, even in the, the constant mundane activities? What if it was a constant dialogue of prayer integrated into our life? What if it was separated laboring prayer, prayer where we're praying over things day after day after day and watching miracles and astonishment at what he's wanted to do through us? What if we prayed for each other? What if there was a pray, prayer going across small groups, lifting each other up in prayer, going across friend groups? What if there was prayer over coworkers and prayer over things? What if we prayed? What, if, what could God do in marriages if we really prayed? What might God want to do in your marriage 
through prayer. What might he be saying, I'm waiting for you to pray because I want you to understand that this was miraculous. What might he do in the lives of our children? In grandchildren who are prodigals and stray, what might he do in the labored tears of parents in prayer as he's drawing us into the miraculous? What might he do in our city? What might he be whispering to our church saying, you're not going to believe what I'm about to do in your city. Would you pray? He's calling us into prayer. What might he do in our church if we were a church of labored prayer, believing the promises of Scripture that he's calling us into the privilege of prayer? What if the reason people wanted to join into our church was not because the, the ministry offerings were tailored to their particular preferences or tastes, but what if they said when people enter into that family, there's so much prayer going back and forth for each other that there's a sense of the miraculous. Lives are changed. Miracles are happening. People are engaging as ministers and missionaries and warriors for the kingdom of God. God is working through that church, is working through that church, not only in other churches, but in its city. I have to be a part of what's happening through the work of God in prayer in that church. What if that type of prayer was happening? What if we prayed? Believer, you're, you and I are in a battle. May prayer fill everything we do, and let's watch as he draws us into the miraculous. Let's pray. We don't forget, holy God, that we are standing in the presence of the one who spoke the universe into existence and spoke our lives into existence and you're holding us together and so we're humbled to come into your presence. Make us people of prayer, please. Make City Rev a people of prayer. Maybe you're here and the possibility of entering into friendship with God is something you never continued, considered. You always thought about being a servant for God and trying to please him with enough good activities. But you realize, man, if what you're saying is true, if Jesus took my sin and gave me his righteousness and I'm called a holy one, a saint, a child of God, if he's calling, potentially calling me that, I, I want to become a friend of God. That's what Jesus accomplished for you, and I want to invite you to take that step. You can, you can find salvation. You can be in Christ today. Just put your faith in Jesus. I want to lead you in that prayer. Just right now, if that's you, you want to become a friend of God and have your sins washed away and the righteousness of Jesus applied to you and the guarantee of heaven, then I want you just to silently pray this prayer right there in your seat whether here at West Pines, in Cooper City, online, wherever you're at, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I receive the work you did. I believe you washed my sin away. I believe your righteousness was applied to me. I believe that you've made me into a child of God. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. 
If that was your prayer just then, I wanna encourage you, if you're watching online, go to cityrev.org faith. Just grab your phone real quick, go to cityrev.org faith. We're gonna mail you a Bible, so it's gonna ask you a couple questions. Church, if you're here and that was your prayer, then at, before you leave and you're going through that front lobby, go to that, the guest services desk, they'll put a Bible in your hands today. Just say, hey, I put my faith in Jesus. And put a, Thanks put for a listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.